Dr. Mago, welcome, welcome. I'd like to introduce everybody to Dr. Esther Mago. Dr. Mago is a very special friend of mine. She is actually a pelvic physical therapist here, based here in Houston, Texas, right in the middle of town. Her practice focuses on men and women with uh, pelvic disorders. The thing I really love about her practice from what I'm learning is that the work that she does is really impacting the lives of many people, especially in a space that's very comfortable and safe for them to really explore their vaginal health, their sexual health in a way that helps them feel more beautiful, healthy, protected, and and well, you know. So welcome, Dr. Imago. Um, thank, thank you so much for honoring our invitation. Of course. Thank you so much. I'm so honored. I'm happy to be here. Life worth living. This is what we're here for. Thank you so much, yeah. Dr. Foyer. And you look beautiful. Thank you. I love the headband. I woke up like this. I woke up like this. Yes, I, I bet you did. <laughs> I know you did. Awesome, awesome. And I was complimenting your office earlier and how beautiful it is. I love the blues and the background uh, and the, you know, the blue tones, the couch, the, you know, the picture, even though I love blue. I don't know. In fact, I love the blue in your background. Yeah, yeah, so we're we're kind of twinning over here, blue and gold. That's actually my colors, blue and gold. So okay, great minds. Colors of royalty. Yeah, it so, is actually. That's what I was thinking when I picked it. Oh really? Okay, yeah. That works, blue and gold. That like, what else? What other colors would we pick? Exactly. It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're so cute. So, well, I want us. I want everybody to know um, who you are, and I think it's important. Sometimes we're so casual and we're so relaxed and we're so beautiful that people need to, you know, I want people to know that you are truly an expert in what you talk about, and they'll they'll easily see that once you start talking. But I want to um, kindly uh, share a little bit about your educational journey to becoming an expert in the area of pelvic um, physical therapy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I have my doctorate in physical therapy and I specialize in women's health and pelvic floor rehab. I treat men and women with pelvic floor dysfunctions. I started a hospital-based practice in Richmond, Virginia, before being recruited to Texas by the Women's Hospital, which truly is the gold standard, the gold standard hospital for pelvic floor dysfunctions. I trained some of the pelvic therapists there, and then I helped them start their satellite location in Sugarland. And then I branched out and started my own practice, the pelvic place physical therapy in 2019. So we are four years old now. We're growing up. Um, I treat bladder bowel sexual issues. So it could be bladder issues for men and women for um, leakage. When we laugh, cough, and sneeze, women lose urine or men post prostatectomies um, when they have prostate cancer and the prostate has been removed. They often have urinary incontinence as well. Um, I treat bowel issues with like constipation and, and abdominal bloating that goes across the genders. I treat sexual issues. So erectile dysfunction, penile testicular pain, women with vaginal dryness, inability to to be able to sense sexual stimulation, um, vaginal pain just in general. I treat all sorts of things. I treat pregnancy and postpartum concerns. We actually do perineal mobilization, which is when we're stretching your perineum in your ninth month of pregnancy. Your perineum is your pelvic floor, right? So we're stretching the pelvic floor muscles in your last month of pregnancy to prevent you from tearing. So in the last 10 years, my patients have not torn with labor and delivery. So that's like a big deal. Yay, I know, right? So I'm super excited. A lot of healthy vaginas out there. <laughs> you live in the world of vaginas and 
<laughs> private parts. Exactly. But, but so it's yeah, pregnancy and postpartum and everything else related to the pelvic floor. Yes, definitely. So um, so the pathologies you're helping people with is for male and female. Oh, uh, of course. About how these patients come to you. How do they come to even know about um, their problem? And how do they come to know that you're the person that can help them? Well, it's usually through a lot of research. So actually, they're usually coming in because they're gynecologists or they're urologists or they're sexual therapists have referred them. So most of my patients come from gynecologists, urogynes, urologists, GI doctors. So pretty much any and everyone you would talk to about your pelvic floor. Primary care doctors as well. Um, some ER doctors because people go into the ER for a pregnancy pain and you can't really treat them or chronic constipation, you can't really do anything about that either. So some of those patients are coming to me from those sources. The other ones are coming to me from pure research. They have pain with sex and it's unbearable. They've gone to their doctors. The doctor said it's not cancer. Uh, your vagina looks healthy. I don't know what else to tell you. Use more lubricant and take a glass of wine. Well, we all know that's not the answer, right? So people start looking it up on Google, pelvic therapist, or who do I see when my vagina hurts? Who do I see when I can't have pain-free sex? Or who do I see because I want to prevent my vagina from tearing during labor and delivery. Or they'll talk to like mom groups or midwives, people like that. So usually people in that world, you're usually, they're really usually connected or it'll just be someone that actually just does the research. A lot of our patients still call us from Google. Do the most patients go through like a series of treatments for even diagnosis and then going to some sort of treatment plan when you see them? Yeah. So most of my patients get significant progress within the first visit. So within the first visit, they're getting a thorough consultation, an internal and external pelvic exam, whether they're a male or a female. Um, it comes with neuromuscular re-education. So we're training and re-educating your muscles and your nerves to function better together. We comes with manual therapy because if you have like trigger points or spasms or any muscular impairments, muscular issues, we can treat that with manual therapy because it is still physical therapy. We prescribe physical therapy exercises, so therapeutic exercises. Um, patient education is a big part of the treatment plan. And then we come up with a thorough, complete plan of care for them. Um, most patients, like I mentioned, they're getting significant progress within the first visit. Most people need less than four visits compared to your traditional therapist that's seeing you for 12 visits or 12 months even. So um, in addition to that plan of care, depending on what I see in their consultation or during their examination, we're able to do some therapeutic ultrasound. We're able to do laser therapy. We're able to do electrical stimulation, um, EMG biofeedback, where we can actually train your muscles and see what you're doing in real time. Um, so I connect some electrodes to your pelvic floor muscles and you can see how well you can contract. You can see how well you can relax. You can see where your spasms are. It's the coolest thing ever. It's like the only time you can see and feel what you're doing at the same time. Uh, and we also do, we do dry needling, which is like acupuncture. So based on all of that, my patients see significant progress really fast. Wow. wow. Is there one predominance of like uh, the type of um, cases that you see? Pelvic pain, for sure. So okay. pelvic pain could be pain with sex or, hey, I just have pain there. It throbs, it burns, it stings. Um, literally any gamut within that area is usually what I see. I see men with pelvic pain. They had a prostatectomy and now they have pain in their pelvic region, or I even see young men, they're lifting heavy weights and now their testicles hurt, or um, they're having inability to ejaculate, or things along those lines. But I see a lot of pelvic pain. That's 
the main thing that I see. Do you have any strategies that you use to kind of keep people at ease? Because it's, it's sort of a sensitive topic to, you know, a man coming in saying my testicles hurt or even a woman, like my pelvis hurts. It hurts when I have sex and having to go into those details with somebody they just met. Obviously, you know, being a doctor definitely provides yeah. a lot of trust. But what do, you, do you have any strategies of? I will tell you my little thing. Well, I, I honestly try to make it as comfortable as can be. I ask the questions straight off the bat because I feel like if you are comfortable asking the questions, they're usually, patients usually want to tell you. They just don't want to tell you if they think it's TMI, right? But if you ask the questions, they, they'll they tell you. I ask them all sorts of stuff. Does it hurt with insertion? I've even demonstrated. Does it hurt with insertion? Does it hurt with friction? Or does it hurt with deep thrust? They're like, oh yeah, that one. You know, so so they'll they'll tell you if you are engaging. Um, but the first five to ten minutes, of, maybe ten minutes, the first ten minutes of their session, they're in a quiet room. They're by themselves. They have heat on their back, heat on their abdomen, heat on their pelvic floor. Um, they have a snack, a crystal jar of snacks beside them. Um, so they're made to feel comfortable. And then I walk in and I'm like, "Hey, how are you?" With all this energy. So it's like it's, I don't know. I feel like it's the best of both worlds. And then they feel like, "Oh, okay." I've heard a lot about you already. Most of our patients have already Googled the crap out of us. So they know exactly what they're, what they're coming into. Um, and they're ready. They have pain. They're ready to get better. And at this point, they don't really care who they're talking to. If you can fix my penile pain, if you can fix my vaginal pain, if you can get me back to having pain-free sex with my husband, I'm going to talk to you. So that's that's their mentality by the time they get here, you know? So it, it works. It works. And they come in and they, they, they're able to reach their goals. Then they tell their friends and their friends tell their friends. So by the time they come in, I don't think it's a lot of anxiety anymore. Do you, are you seeing more of one demographic group or, you know, do you see more males and females? Do you see any particular like races more than the other or more, or some demographic more comfortable with even or exploring these uh, concerns that they're having? I see more women than men because unfortunately women, we have the shorter end of the stick when it comes to like the child rearing ages, right? So we have bladder issues more likely than men. We have bowel issues more frequently than men. We have prolapses where our entire organs can literally just come out of our pelvic floor. So women, we naturally have more pelvic issues. We have a hole in the bottom of our pelvis, which is why we're able to birth a 10 pound baby. So with that being said, I see more women than men. I will say probably 60, 40 or 70, 30. So it's definitely more women than men. Um, Race-wise, I think it's pretty much even across the diaspora. Every woman has potential to have pelvic pain. We all have pregnancy pain, whether we're Beyonce or the lady that's homeless on the street. Our pains are pretty much all the same across the age span, across the gender, across the race. So I see it just about any and everyone, you know? So even though we all have this pain or propensity to it, do you feel like all cultures are open to seeking help? That's actually a very good question. Are all cultures open to seeking help? I, I honestly, I honestly would say yes. If they think it's going to help, if they know that the resources are available, they're open to seeking help. I think what it is specifically because we're Nigerian, I think the Nigerian community, we don't talk about it. And certain other cultures don't talk about it. The Indian community may not talk about it. The Pakistani community may not talk about it. But these patients find their ways here because whether it's a hush-hush topic or not, we're still giving birth. We're still having sex with our husbands, you know? So we still need these things resolved. We still have to jump on the trampoline with our kids, you know? So these are issues that goes across the diaspora. I will say the more, I see more educated patients than not. So I would say it's probably a disparity in terms of knowledge base and education base because 
a person that's not as well informed, they may think, oh, urinary incontinence is normal. I'll just put on a pad and call it a day. Whereas a higher level function person will say, oh no, this is absolutely not not going to be my life. Let's figure out ways to resolve it. Um, a higher educated person would know the importance of like family and and the importance between the importance of the relationship with your husband, right? Whereas a non a person that doesn't really care too much would say, oh, what the heck? I don't care. They can figure it out on their own. But these little things, these little aspects build your life. It builds your partner's life. It builds your children's lives. It builds the home. And in that in turn, curates the the energy that you carry around with you to work or to your children's school and vice versa, you know? Yeah, I feel like it helps you show up as just a, a more whole person when you're taking care of yourself, I'm sure. I remember oh. when you came to our office and you kind of explained what you did. And in my mind, I'd never thought of, you know, this specialty as something that I can, you know, even, you know, partake in. But I think that's the great thing about you and your specialty is that you take it everywhere with you. You're like, I know you have a pelvis and I'm sure <laughs> I can. <laughs> Man, female, is that a penis I see? You probably need my help, you know, like just the fact that is everybody could use your help whether and Please. physicians too. I'm sure you get a lot of referrals from physicians, but I'm sure there are ER doctors who treat and discharge, you know, treat, go to your PCP, but um, just, I wish I could, you know, say to Bullhorn, be like, go to your physical therapist. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah. I think it's it's true. I think it's really based on people being educated and informed about it as the one that is an advocate for it. I truly have to embody it. And, I, and I'm passionate about what I do. I love what I do. I think everyone deserves a pain-free pelvic floor. You know, it's acceptable to say I have a headache or my ankle hurts. It's not really acceptable, acceptable to say my anus hurts. You know, it's not really acceptable to say my vagina hurts. It's not really acceptable to say, oh, thanks for congratulating me for giving birth, but I tore through my anus, you know? And these are real life situations. So having a pelvic therapist that, as a friend that would say, hey, congratulations on your on your baby. How's your pelvic floor? How's your vagina feeling? Those are conversations that people actually welcome because mm -hmm. they want to talk about. It. They don't have anyone to talk to about these concerns. So I, I love what I do. I feel like I'm doing God's work. How did you even get into this? Like, how did you, where, where did you find out about it? I mean, there are a lot of physical therapists, but there yeah. are a lot of pelvic physical therapists. Definitely a niche specialty for sure. And it's either you love it or you hate it. And I, I love it. I love what I do. Um, how did I get into it? In grad school, I was doing my dissertation on the effects of low back pain on depression. Random, right? But my patient had low back pain and she was saying, in actuality, they classified it as low back pain, but she said her pain was caused by um, intercourse. So every time she had intercourse, her 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 pain would go from her pelvis, like her tailbone, really, and radiate up her back. And because humans, Americans, whatever, we just don't feel comfortable talking about the pelvic floor. We don't feel comfortable talking about, oh, it starts from sex. Oh, no, I'm going to treat your back, and I'm just going to forget that you said that part. So as a student, I take everything so literal. You have to follow the, the pain, right? You follow the origin of the pain, with the cause of the pain. If she's saying, hey, this happens every time I have sex, well, to me, naturally, I'm like, okay, it's probably something down there that we need to work on, not your back. Everyone else is treating your back. Why aren't they treating the area that you that you're saying is the cause of the pain? And of course, she's like, well, I don't know. Well, I know, but no one wants to talk about it. It's, un it's an uncomfortable topic to talk about. So I said, well, would you be okay if we looked at your pelvis instead of your back? And then I did more research and I'm like, well, if the origin is pain with sex, well, 
I know you have pelvic floor muscles that attach to your sacrum. Maybe that's the origin of your pain. So I'm like, is it okay if we do a pelvic exam? Like I have these books, this is what I'm looking at. We can probably do this and figure out what happened. Like what's the cause? Because obviously you've seen five licensed therapists. If they weren't able to fix it, I'm pretty sure me in grad school is not gonna be able to fix your pain. So um, I asked her, she said, yeah. She's like, at this point, just get me out of pain. You know, um, it was affecting her life. It was affecting her husband. It was affecting the children. She's about, she's on the verge of a divorce and everyone's talking about her back pain when in actuality, it's not her back. Um, I told my professors, they told me to have her sign a hundred consent forms. We did a pelvic exam, uh, an actual pelvic vaginal exam. I had a mirror up, so I was showing her what I was seeing. So we're looking at a mirror. We're looking at my textbook. We're looking at her vagina at the same time. And we did a pelvic exam based on what the textbook says and we're able to identify the cause of her pain it was literally her coccygeus muscle is the deepest muscle in the pelvic floor it literally attaches to your coccyx which attaches to your sacrum which attaches to your lower back so everything's literally connected uh, we did some um some treatments on her pelvic floor we checked her pelvis stability because if those muscles are tight then it's literally going to pull your pelvis either left or right if your pelvis is in neutral then you're going to have back pain it literally is a whole cascade it's a domino effect um, everything's connected so we did a pelvic exam we did some treatments literally within the first treatment she said she was feeling at least 50 percent better within four to six visits she was able to have pain-free sex she's able to ride in her car for long periods of time without having any any gluteal or pelvic pain um she was able to move around and do things with her kids that she wasn't able to do for years um it, it literally restores your life it restores your function it, it's everything that everyone needs um i think really you just don't know people don't know who to talk to about these concerns right right and yeah. i know you and i talked about the different types of um i guess exercises that you offer and how they're based on the exam so yeah. a lot of women know about kegel exercises because we um if you ever been to a sex party um <laughs> Balls. <laughs> oh, I hate those. Like, Kegel balls are the worst. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. In there and then squeeze. And but then I was talking to you and you were like, well, that's not for everybody because yeah. some have hypertonic muscles down there and you shouldn't be doing that anyway. Right. Yeah. And where can you go through some, I guess, some thought process for the layperson to maybe kind of work through on whether they should even be looking at those type of balls or if they should not be, uh, or yeah. should they you and <laughs> they should all just come to me get a pelvic exam first i think that's where everyone needs to start you need to know the baseline for your pelvis you need to know the baseline for your pelvic floor so your pelvic floor could be in three categories you could be hypertonic which means high hyper tonic means tone so you can have high tone which means it's going to be tight it's going to be painful you're going to have like burn and discomfort sometimes with some of those patients. Um, those are usually the patients that have difficulty using a tampon. Those are usually the patients that sometimes they laugh and cough and sneeze and they still lose urine because the pelvic floor muscles are so tight up on their bladder that it causes some pain. Are they constipated? A lot of them are constipated because if your muscles are hypertonic, which means they're tight, they're squeezing, they have too much tone, it's gonna be hard for things to pass through there easily, right? So then the so they're more likely to be constipated. They're more likely to have difficulty with anything that causes that area to stretch voluntarily. Mm. So bowel movements, sex, tampons, a pap exam, those patients are usually going to be the hypertonic ones and they would benefit from a pelvic floor therapist. Certainly not Kegels. Kegels would be the, the worst thing for them, the absolute worst thing. So Kegel balls is a no bueno. No, no go. Um, 
then you can have a neutral public floor. Like people that have a neutral public floor, they don't have any issues. They're fine. They're able to laugh, cough, jump, have sex. Everything's fine. Then you can have hypotonic public floor. So hypo means low. Tonic means low tone, right? Tonic. So hypotonic. Hypotonic means your muscles have low tone. They're going to be weaker. They're going to be looser. These are going to also be the patients that have urinary incontinence because they don't have the support over their bladder, support for their bladder. Um, they could have... Um, inability to sense things down there. So they have inability to sense sex. So they feel like, oh, sex just feels blah. I don't feel anything at all. Um, these people may also have like pelvic floor weakness in terms of um, their muscles down there may be just a little bit more lax. They're losing urine because they don't have the strength to support it and hold it. Uh, so urinary incontinence can be for hypertonic and hypotonic. They just have two different causes, which is why I tell people when you laugh, cough, and sneeze and you lose urine, don't just immediately start doing Kegels. You may be making yourself worse. You know, you may have a hypotonic pelvic floor where you need to strengthen to gain the support that you need, or you may have a hypertonic where your muscles are so spastic that you don't have the give that you need when you laugh, cough, or sneeze, hence the reason why you're losing urine. You know, so it could be either extreme, um, which is why I say you need a public floor therapist. You need a public exam. Right, right. Can we yeah. talk a little bit about pain with sex and um, one, the things that can cause it, and then two, while patients are getting therapy, some things they can do to be um, to help improve that. Um, so okay, it, yeah, absolutely. Those things that would cause, like, I need all my questions answered. <laughs> Me everything. I love it. I love talking about it. Um, things that would cause pain with intercourse. Um, I'll go from like little to, to big things. Little things that can cause pain with intercourse is you're not mentally aroused. You're not, uh, you haven't had enough foreplay. Because sometimes guys are thinking, oh, it's five o'clock. We just had dinner. Let's have sex. That doesn't really work for females, you know? So foreplay is a huge deal. Having you build it up, that helps. If you're dehydrated, honestly, if you're dehydrated, your vaginal muscles are going to be dry. Your tissue is going to be dry. It's not going to be as lubricated. Um, so that's going to cause some discomfort. Drinking water before sex or like lose? <laughs> Well, no, stay stay hydrated naturally. Increase your water intake. Have your normal six to eight glasses of water. Um, implement uh, electrolytes. Drink some coconut water, pineapple juice, things along those lines. But that helps to increase your lubrication. Different different positions. So if you have like tighter pelvic floor muscles, you may have different positions that may cause you to have more discomfort. If you have a more shallow vaginal vaginal canal, if the person's going pretty deep that that can cause you to have some discomfort so just knowing positions that are that are going to be helpful for you makes a huge difference obviously the the obvious elephants in the rooms are medication and and surgery right so if you had a hysterectomy if you had endometriosis or ovarian cysts things along those lines i would admit to me is that because of scar tissue that would cause um, patients to have pain yeah, you have scar tissue. And generally speaking, I think after a hysterectomy, your vaginal vault shortens about one or two inches. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's pretty significant considering that naturally it's about three to four inches, you know? So, but then the, another thing about the vaginal canal is that it can stretch up to 200%. It's okay. nothing but a bunch of ridges. Like a, if you think of a, an accordion, your vagina is pretty much like an accordion. It can stretch widthwise and depthwise. Some of the things that I tell my patients that have difficulty with depth or width, um, we do vaginal dilator training. 
So these are the things that you would use for hypertonic pelvic floor muscles, tight, short, painful pelvic floor muscles. Um, vaginal dilators, they start off like really small, like the size of my pinky and is graded and it gets bigger and um, thicker and longer per grade to the size of a pretty long, thick banana or like a cucumber. Um, and it's really, really helpful. Um, my patients use it once a day for like five to 10 minutes and they're able to progress through the five sets within five days or five weeks, however, however um, fast that they want to go through it. It makes them very independent. Mm. Um, we do it in here in session with them. Is that permanent? Does it change as, you know, if you're not constantly sort of providing that um, space or form, does that, can that, can it regress and sort of contract well, back? Yeah, because your pelvic floor muscles are nonetheless, they're still muscles. They change, they adapt. So if you are, if you have a partner, if you have a steady partner, your goal is to use your dilator up to your partner's size. So let's say there are five dilators and your partner's a size four. You'll use your dilator up to your partner's size and then you just stay with your partner. So essentially your muscles are going to be at that size opposed to being a size one or two. Um, and then also use lubricants. I tell patients use lubricants. There's nothing wrong with using lubricants. Lubricants are your friends. They're here to help you. They're here to make your, your experience much more joyous. Use the lubricants. Um, you can also moisturize the vaginal tissue. I think I mentioned this to someone before. Organic virgin castor oil. You can use it as antibacterial, antimicrobial, antifungal, and it is edible and is actually healthy. Um, so using organic virgin castor oil as a vaginal moisturizer regularly and as a vaginal lubricant, that would help. It actually helps the men as well. Every day. It's kind of like you would put lotion on. Put yes. some down. Okay. Yeah. And a little bit down there. Sex. And before sex. Like a like you would use a lubricant. Um, like you would use KY. I tell people don't use KY because oh. it actually dries you out. How but, is um, the other one, the like regular KY or the water-based? Um, so there are three different types of lubricants. I usually tell people not to use KY um, because it it has properties in there that does dry you out, which is why you probably need to use it a little bit more. Um, it's kind of like the person that markets the most may not be the best. Everyone knows about McDonald's, but we know it's not the healthiest, right? Um, but three types of lubricants. There's water-based, which is like your body's natural water lubrication. Um, Silicone-based, which is going to be your most premium. It's going to be thicker. It coats more. Um, it's it, it it's good for if you don't lubricate at all, pretty much. People use silicone-based for your anus. People use silicone-based for shower sex so it doesn't wash off. Um, the middle between the two would be your oil base. Your oil base would be like your castor oil. I feel like there should be a class for this. Well, in you're here. College, you know, maybe shortly after college, whenever sex is happening. <laughs> <laughs> so if you feel like you don't really need lubricant and you just want something there, the water base may be a good one because it's, it just lubricates the area, but it doesn't last. Um, oil base is the middle grade between the two. So it does last. It moisturizes. It's good for you. It's everything. Then the yeah. silicone is... I mean, your body doesn't naturally produce silicone, nor does it absorb silicone, right? But it's thicker and it coats more. Um, the negative with the silicone is you can't use it with condoms. It breaks down your condom. Happens um, to that when you're done. I mean, what happens to what? Washing that off, getting it out. 
I'm sure it's safe, but well, yeah, your body pushes it out. Your body is naturally good. Your body's like a self-cleaning oven, right? So it cleans itself out. Whereas the water base will probably be absorbed because it's water. The oil base will be, if you use castor oil, that would be absorbed and it will actually be beneficial. In the silicone base, your body will just kind of push it out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I never knew that. Yeah. And then fun fact, don't use silicone base if you are, if you have like a tiled floor, because then it just literally will fall and you have to do a lot of cleaning up because it doesn't come off easily. Yeah. That's the thing with silicone base. It doesn't not, it does not come off easily. But that's what it's for. That's what it's for. It's supposed to stick and it's supposed to stay. Tell us a little bit about the procedures. I know you kind of, it kind of went over my head, but this is a a procedural field, right? So you do some procedures in clinic for diagnosis and treatment. So yeah. you talk about the, um, like electrical stimulation that you do. Can you go yeah. go them and why each, each okay. just a few. Okay, so we do electrical stimulation. I actually use that for the pelvic floor and for their abs. Like if they had diastasis recti, which is separation of the abdominal muscles, we can I... pull those muscles back together really fast with electrical stimulation. Really, no surgery. No surgery. So we're non-invasive. We don't do anything surgery and we don't do any medication. So I'm preventing you from surgery and I'm getting you off of your medications. That's what I do. So it's conservative, um, conservative medicine, essentially. So um, we're doing electrical stimulation to help strengthen their pelvic floor muscles. So if they're having weakness or um, a term called prolapse, where their pelvic floor muscles are falling out, like they have a bulge or a balloon, or sometimes they say it feels like a tampon coming out of my vagina, a tampon feel, um, could be a prolapse. So we treat that with electrical stimulation. We can strengthen and tighten the muscles. Um, and we, again, strengthen and tighten your abs as well. So that's one of the treatments we do. We do therapeutic ultrasound, where it's sound waves sending heat into your muscles. It's different from a diagnostic ultrasound, which is what I used to see. So if we're trying to see a baby or see cancer, we use a diagnostic ultrasound. I use a therapeutic ultrasound. So it provides therapy and provides treatment. Um, We do um, laser therapy as well. Not like laser hair removal, which is what people think naturally, but it's an infrared light that sends deep heat into your muscles. It helps to break down scar tissue. It helps to expedite the, the tissue healing. It promotes blood flow. It promotes um, regeneration of blood of cells in that area. So it really helps you get better faster. Um, we do EMG biofeedback, which is for patients that don't want any internal work because I do see pediatrics as well. Um, so for a five-year-old or 55-year-old. It doesn't really make a difference, but we can place some electrodes close to their bottom and it feels like you're playing a video game, but with your bottom. So you're contracting and we can see how well you're contracting on the computer screen. It objectifies your measurements. So that way you're not just telling me, I feel more relaxed. I feel stronger. I feel this. We can see it. We can measure it. Um, And then we also do, we do dry needling and dry intramuscular needling. It's a more advanced form of dry, it's a more advanced form of acupuncture. So that is a way to um, help release trigger points or release muscle spasms or tension anywhere around the body. So it could be your groin, it could be for your glutes. Um, My patients that have sciatica, I do that a lot for their piriformis muscle. Um, We can do it pretty much any and everywhere. I treat any and everything in the pelvis region. Oh, wow. What would you say is your most rewarding, um, I guess, therapy or when do you, are there times where you're like, yeah, this is why, this is why I do this. This is why I went into this. Is oh, there absolutely. Like- so 
I actually had this moment this week, actually. So a patient came in and she's like, she's literally crying. This, I mean, honestly, you're really giving them the life back over the simplest things. Patient's like, hey, I feel like I can't do anything with my child. I couldn't go out. I'm literally sneezing and peeing. I have four-year-olds. Four-year-olds are like kids on wheels. Like they don't sit still. They're running constantly. So, and she's a housewife. So she's doing these things with her kids. And she's like, I can't like function because I'm peeing all the time. And my kid says stuff about it because you can't tell a four-year-old to be quiet. So he's literally telling everyone that my mom's peeing on herself. and it's embarrassing, you know, <laughs> it's embarrassing. And then she's like, when we have sex, I, I urinate as well. Um, I just feel very uncomfortable. I have to look for the bathroom everywhere I go. I'm the friend that always has to pee. And we all can think of one person like that. You know, we have a friend that always has to pee. We have a friend that avoids, like she says, oh, I haven't had sex with my husband in two years. Well, there's right. a reason for that, you know? So patients coming back and she's like, you know, honestly, I feel like I'm so much stronger. I can see that I'm stronger on the EMG. I can feel that I'm stronger. I can chase my little four-year-old around. I can have sex again without feeling like I'm going to pee on my husband. I feel like I feel like myself again. Thank you. Or, or I had another patient that said I prevented her from having to get surgery. She had such bad constipation, literally hadn't pooped for three weeks at a doesn't poop for three weeks at a time. She's getting congratulated for being pregnant. She's not pregnant. She's literally not constipated. So being able to like get back to, and that also causes pain with intercourse, you know, constipation can definitely cause you to have pain with intercourse. So that has to be incredibly uncomfortable. Oh, can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. So, and these are things people don't talk about, you know, like imagine talking to your best friend about her hair, but she hasn't pooped in three weeks. But like it's, these are the things that I see. Um, so yeah, so she came back and said, you know, I'm able to like have bowel movements. I feel so much better. I feel so much more comfortable. I can wear my Spanx. I can wear my yoga clothes. I can go do Pilates without feeling weirded out, you know? So these are just a tiny little glitches that we encountered that just makes life so much better or worse if we don't get it addressed. Um, of course, I love my patients that come in with pain with intercourse because they're like, I want to have, I want to have a baby, but I can't have sex. The doctors are telling me just to use lubricant or just relax as if that means anything. Um, and then we treat them and they're like, Hey, not only are we able to have sex, but here's my ultrasound. I'm pregnant. Things like that. It just, it just gives me chills. It reminds me every single day that I love what I do and I'm passionate about what I do. And I'm, I'm doing work that, that is well needed. People need these services doing you're doing the work of god okay (laughs) no i i truly love what i do it's the most rewarding feel possible to be honest it's so rewarding that's awesome i'm so proud of you and you do it with such grace and you're out here saving pelvic lives (laughs) (laughs) i said i'm changing the world one pelvis at a time what would you um where do you see yourself in like five years or even 10 years in this specialty i want to teach I want to teach more providers on what to look for and how to assess patients and and how to recommend different um, procedures, how to recommend different techniques and things to do to help people get better. I think so many people have these issues and they just simply do not know who they can talk to. Like your pregnant patient that's going to the ER because they have such bad sciatica symptoms or such bad round ligament pain or whatever the case may be. Pelvic physical therapy can address it in one treatment if they go to the right person. Uh, we can do a pelvic, we can, it's half of the time is their pelvis is out of alignment and no one checks these things. Or your patient has urinary incontinence, you're getting a lifetime of medications or diapers or a surgery, a sling procedure that lasts about five years on, on average and you come back and get the same procedure all over again. 
No one wants that. We just do it because we don't know that there are other alternatives. So just educating providers on knowing, hey, that patient that came to you because they have chronic constipation, don't tell them to eat fiber and drink water. Although those are good advice, but they may actually have pelvic floor muscle issues. They may have pelvic floor impairments. Or your patient that had a tear during labor and delivery, don't just give her an ice pack and say, congratulations. Tell her like, hey, these are some things that can help you. I just think people are not as aware or they don't utilize their resources as effectively. So I want to be a provider that educates providers and also treat pelvic floor because I, I love what I do. Right. So yeah. how do you see that in private practice? How do you see that sort of uh, merging private practice for yourself and then being able to teach in like academics setting? Um, more like public speaking. I probably could do some more academia. Um, in Richmond, Virginia, I actually taught some of the med students the pelvic floor anatomy, um, part of the cadaver lab. I would come in and teach them like, hey, these are the pelvic floor muscles. This is this, this is that. Um, when you do exams, look for these signs where you see these muscles or X, Y, Z. I love that. Um, how do I see myself merging this pelvic practice with speaking? I want to get a really great person in here that I can teach all the things that I know and it can be like a mini Dr. Esther but her own person um, and we can be a meeting of the minds she can give me her information I'll give her my information and we'll create something magnificent yeah I see it I see you teaching I see you giving talks I see yeah. you on TV. I mean you're so photogenic and you're very well spoken and beautiful and and well, I think people you. love to hear you talk about like I'm just sitting here like I never <laughs> Silicone? Okay. <laughs> like, babe, did you hear that? <laughs> like, let me get my husband in here. <laughs> Take oh, notes. Tell <laughs> him to <know>. sit down. <laughs> we all have the same parts and we're all dealing with the same stuff, you know, behind closed doors. And oh, it's great for this kind of knowledge and somebody that studied it to, you know, PhD level and, and written dissertations on it and is educating people about it. So no, it's, it's pretty awesome. What advice would you give like the female in childbearing age or older who's, you know, watching this and thinking, you know, I wonder why my doctor never mentioned it or should I ask my doctor about this, you know? Yeah, if they have any concerns pertaining to their bladder, bowel, pregnancy, postpartum, sex, anything, I think you should ask your doctor about it. Ask your doctor about it or do, I mean, we're in the age of technology. Do your own research. Look up a pelvic therapist near you. Um, if you're in the Houston area, come to the pelvic place physical therapy. We actually have patients that fly in from out of town. So you can definitely do that. We do telemedicine as well. Um, I think nowadays resources are at your fingertips, but then also talk to your doctor about it. See, they can refer you to a good pelvic therapist. Tell them you have pain with sex. It's not something that could be that should be hushed over. You know, one out of four women have pain with intercourse. Uh, one out of I think one out of four women have pain have urinary incontinence, and a lot more people have pain with intercourse. So it's these are common things. These are statistics. Um, talk to someone about it, right. and when you start opening up about, it, you'd be surprised how many people are in your same boats. People just don't talk about it. That's really what it boils down to. Yeah, and honestly, truly. Get a pelvic exam. I think that's the best thing that most people can do for themselves. If nothing else, it'll educate you on where you are. Well, hey, um, tell us how to tell the audience how to reach you, how to get to your office and get a consultation with you, please. Yay. So the practice is called the Pelvic Place Physical Therapy. 
um, I'm Dr. Esther Amago. We're located in the medical center between the Children's Museum and the medical center. So between the museum district and the medical center. Um, it's called the Park Plaza Medical Building. You can call us. The phone number is 713-344-0838. You can also text us. You can also reach out to us on our website. Call us, text us. Yeah, and you guys are active on Instagram as well, I've seen. Yeah, we could be more active. We're working on that. But yes, you can also reach out to us on Instagram. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Tired of waiting at the ER? Lifesavers 24-hour emergency room is your number one ER for pediatric and adult medical care. Staffed by board-certified physicians with absolutely no wait time. Lifesavers 24-hour emergency room is equipped to handle life-threatening conditions quickly. Your emergency or concern is our priority, and we're here when you need us. Now with three convenient Houston locations, open 24-7 to get you feeling better fast. Our Willowbrook area location is located at the intersection of Highway 249 and 1960. Our Heights area location is in the Garden Oaks Shopping Center at 3820 North Shepherd Drive. Our Summerwood area location is located off of Sam Houston Tollway at West Lake Houston Parkway. Lifesavers 24-hour emergency room is your ER for immediate care.